needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Ty and the concept of eugenics. I'm Charlie Atheridge Nunn, a writer and a fan of the director Joseph Kahn. I'm Marsdry Lobato, a science fiction writer and a John Carpenter fan. Each episode, we watch stories from a couple of different Star Trek shows and rank them on a, on a big list from best to worst. We both love Star Trek. But as it's far from our first fandom, that makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task, to the point where people should probably breed that into people. This episode, we're having a look at our second Star Trek film. So a while ago, we covered Star Trek The Motion Picture, and now it is Star Trek The Motion Picture 2, The Wrath of Khan. And this episode is recorded in THX sound. Thanks. I I didn't know if I had an impression of that in me, but I'm I'm pleased you did. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think the last time I saw Wrath of Khan, I was probably under ten years old. Damn. That... And I saw Star Trek Three before Wrath of Khan, and it made a lot more sense afterwards. <laughs> My original viewing order for the Star Trek films is, um, shall we say, kind of fucked. Hmm. Uh, because the first one I saw was Star Trek V The Final Frontier. Oh. Because we had Sky Movies at the time, and that always got advertised when it first came to Sky Movies. Then it was Star Trek Three. I remember that because I had chicken pox. Then Star Trek Two in Pan and Scan VHS. Huh. And you know your you know your age when you can say pan and scan and just the old feelings of anger well up in you. And then Star Trek One also in pan and scan. Oh yeah, that's a film that really needs anything but pan and scan. Oh really. god, yeah. Um, but I did actually last time I saw Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan before this viewing was in the cinemas last year. Because they were they did a um a Fathom event for Star Trek to along with Star Trek in the Motion Picture. So last year I got to see this on the big screen and it looked magnificent. Oh yes, I remember being jealous of you of that. Yeah, for me it was four, possibly as one of my first ever seen films at a hippie festival, then three, then two somewhere. And then I think six, then maybe five, then maybe one. So yeah, a, an interesting order. But then I was about to say, it, it's not like there's a heavy continuity between them. But once we hit this point with two onwards, there is some kind of tight connective tissue. I, I do kind of miss like one, of the, what, like one of the great things of just getting into like nerd stuff in like the 80s and 90s is that you're not because of like no streaming and everything isn't collected everywhere. Like you get the opportunity to just watch stuff incredibly out of sequence. And sometimes it's kind of that's sometimes the fun of it. 
Well, that's like, one of the things I I love with ongoing comics, and almost feel like we've got a little sport with sometimes where you go, oh, actually diving into a series and going Thunderbolts, what's going on here? Who are these people? And you'll you'll pick it up, like as long as it gets your interest even slightly, it it shouldn't matter that you're yeah. diving in partway through a story. And the same here. You know, when I saw Star Trek 3, I had no idea any of this happened. I didn't know about, you know, I knew they were searching for Spock. That was that was about it. And yeah, it's it's interesting that back then you would go into Back to the Future 2 going, OK, well, I've not seen the first one, but it's on TV. Yeah. Why not see it? Anyway, before we go on, Mars... What non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying? Well, this actually, incidentally, does tie into the theme of eugenics. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did not... I shouldn't take a drink <laughs> the moment you say that. <laughs> Go um, on. Um, I picked up a copy of the, Brent, the Venture Brothers finale movie, Ooh. The Venture Brothers, Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. And of course, since Venture Brothers deals with cloning, mm. obviously, like eugenics and nature versus nurture does crop up. God, it's, it's been so long since I've seen any Venture Brothers. It's it's fun. Like, I get the feeling that because they're also having to kind of finish out the cliffhanger the show ended on, this obviously wasn't their intended finale. And it's done in such a way that I feel it can be a finale. But if they decide to do more, they can. There's still plenty of room to go. Like it's fun. Okay. Most of the characters get like a nice moment. You know, it, it just kind of sucks that um, Warner Brothers Discovery Max David Zaslov is kind of um, a dick. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That is. That is unfortunate. I I admit, I mostly saw Venture Brothers on varied burnt data disks. So I'm not Same. sure how far I'm up to. Uh, I think it was the main way it was distributed. Was um, by friends going, hey, this is really cool. Check this out. Like w When you're like a fan of the Adult Swim shows in the UK, and you don't occasionally um, vi you know, visit your friends in the US every count once every calendar year to hang out with your girlfriend and just buy stuff from best buy for dirt cheap on and to play on your on your your multi-region dvd play, player back home who would do that i don't know no like clue. i think like your c labs 2021 your your aqua team you definitely either got from a friend who downloaded it off demonoid or you downloaded it yourself off demonoid God, Demonoid, there's a name I've not heard in a long time. Yeah, <laughs> a long like, time. He was um, a, a fine pilot and a cunning warrior. Mm, my um, my brother's BFF, Garrett, um, who is a dear friend to me as well. You know, he's one of one of the many third nun brothers that um that has been out there over the years and. Is is he definitely not an Efridge nun brother? Oh, he he, he is very much not, but he's okay. he, he, close enough, really. But he's the kind of person who'll recommend you things, and you'll always be like, 
is this gonna be bad though? Oh, it, how high were you when you watched this? And is, should is I the, factor that in? Is this a snuff film? Be mm. honest, is this a snuff film? That is, well, luckily he wasn't that sketchy, friend. But he's, yeah, he's definitely had some bad media takes. But then sometimes he'll show you things like uh, Strange with Candy and and yeah, Venture Bros, and you go, oh my god, actually this is amazing. Uh, so yeah, he's someone I I always listen to when he gives a media recommendation because it's either going to be something where it's a, a pretty quick turn off, or you go, oh, actually, I would never have found this, and it's really good. And what would you do if Garrett recommended hashtag Blake's Boys? I mean, thing is, you you two are a dear friend. <laughs> 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 and yet <laughs> i i have you know made ones of of kofi money uh tormenting you about blake seven <laughs> um so yeah yeah i'd i'd probably ignore him at this mm. point just to continue the bit uh hashtag charlie you dick <laughs> eh, now charlie What non-track thing did you enjoy in the last week? I'm not angry at all about this. <laughs> so, I it has been a dream of mine for many, many years to visit Port Marion, the location where the television series The Prisoner was filmed. It's it's something that I... God, I think I was maybe 20 years younger when I first watched The Prisoner and fell in love with it as a a person who loved spy fiction and was often extremely confrontational with authority figures, <laughs> it struck a chord. So, um, so yeah, actually seeing this strange place, like if you've not, if you've never seen The Prisoner, it's difficult entirely to describe the location. And that's by design, both in reality, where the the man who put together Port Marion pretty much just collected all manner of weird kind of tat and buildings and statues. And especially after World War Two, he was like, well, this is a place for fallen houses. And the amount of different things where you go, OK, there's a statue of Hercules there. And then you've got these two kind of like golden statues dancing statues on poles you've got a cherub you've got all sorts of weird things and kind of pseudo mediterranean things um apparently portofino was one of the locations that inspired it and port marion's it's out in the middle of nowhere in wales we had to stay in carnarvon first and bus out and it was a gorgeous long bus ride all around, you know, you got to see bits of Mount Snowdon, you know, you couldn't ever see the top of it because it was just, you know, Tolkien-esque misty mountains <laughs> all around there. And suddenly you find yourself in this near Mediterranean looking place, this strange collection of buildings. And we we went on a slightly circuitous route round it. So we went into this little grotto and down these narrow stairs and it was 
intermittently either raining or blisteringly hot all through this. Um, we walked along the sea out to the lighthouse um, where some tourists were like, oh, I thought it was going to be a bigger lighthouse. So tough. This is what this is what they got. And all through the woods. So we came upon the village from the, the kind of the back of it. And it was very much you walk down a path, the trees part and behold, <laughs> the majesty of Port Marion. It was it was beautiful. And um, obviously, it's a quite touristy place. And a lot of the tourists don't know that it's anything to do with the prisoner or that the prisoners a thing at all. But yeah. there's a lovely bust of Patrick McGowan there. I saw your photos. It was a beautiful place. I could endlessly go on about it, and I probably will to Miles after the recording. Hopefully next time my wife and I go to England, mm. we're, we're trying to make it to Portman. We, meant, we made it to Cardiff yeah. last oh. time. Cardiff... Cardiff, you I cannot think, cannot get to it from Cardiff. That's... No, Cardiff is a lovely city, and yeah. for a capital, back in the day when British money had value, um, was probably the cheapest capital city in England to buy a pint and a lunch. Um, the way you described it, um, have you read American Gods? No. Okay, there's a big section early on in American Gods which takes place at the House on the Rock. Which is this place in the mid in the mid, in Wisconsin, Midwest Wisconsin, which this collector um, just made this big house collecting all this weird junk, and it's kind it's kind of magical. I didn't know it was a real place when I first read the book, and then I've been a few times, mm. and it's just lovely and in, lovely and insane and just weird. It has like this room of organs. It has a giant whale. Huh? It has a car. It has a carousel where this very important scene in the book. American Gods is a weird book for me because I read it at a time where I didn't know I would then end up moving to the part of the country where the book is largely set. Mm. I I've owned it for years, but um, I think chatting with Emma years ago, um, she's on that's read most of Gaiman's works and I, I came upon his more later things and yeah um, I think overall it it's something that didn't strike her that well wasn't it's, it I would say it's his out of his novels mm. it's his most Marmite yeah so yeah I just didn't bother with that you know it's like um catching my dad's recommendation when i saw him reading a harry potter many many years ago and asked you know oh, is that any good so pullman's better <laughs> cool. i'll just <laughs> i'll just read pullman instead then pretty much yeah like anyway before we start going off on a rant to, to move from, to go to time. go to go from one fascist to another <laughs> Oh my god, again, what? just so wow. I, okay, <laughs> so um that's Miles has done two spit takes oh. on, on Charlie in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing this on purpose. God, I was just earlier today thinking it's terrible that HP Lovecraft inspired what some just some deviants and weirdos 
where um, certain other authors are still alive and very much inspiring fascism. H.P. Lovecraft kind of... People for the worse than Disney adults as well. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, at best, the worst thing... Well, one of the many worst things he did was give us Legend of the Overfiend. (laughs) Which I would honestly actually hashtag would still watch over any of the Harry Potter films where David Tennant doesn't try to throttle Daniel Radcliffe. Man, Legend of the Overfiend was one of the weirdest group <laughs> film nights. <laughs> no, no, it's the, be- it's the best film to watch in a group because you're watching a porn film where all the porn has been cut out. Just giving you this weird, almost this kind of, it's almost Italian in its weird eroticism and horror. But anyway, anyway, this is not this is not a legendary overfiend podcast. Join us next year. Want to know if there is one? Join us next year for casual Uotsuki Doji. But in the meantime, this is a Star Trek podcast. And uh, Ch- Charlie, um, do you need to have a lie down? I feel like it. I feel like it now. <laughs> um, I've realised. I think the motion picture got some. Some slightly better numbers than than we usually get. So if there are people just dipping into <laughs> to casual trek for the uh for the films, this is what we're like. I'm sorry. pretty much. Yeah. Um anyway, before we talk about Nor- normally one of us hasn't been on how long were you on the train today? Man, it was nearly ten that I got on the train and it was four that I got through the door here. Yeah, um, you're you're kind of punch drunk from travel. Yeah, yeah. It was a the cattle cart service out of Korea. Oh, oh god, so, so yeah, I don't blame you for being more of a giggly bitch than usual. <laughs> I'm I'm just about keeping it together. But I've I've seen both of these episodes, well, this episode and the film on trains at the moment, in a screen that was basically two-thirds of an iPad screen. So the optimal way of viewing all of it. Wow. David Lynch? David Lynch would hate you. I mean, I've not not done that amazing-looking thing of watching Tenet on a Game Boy Advance, you know, (laughs) if I could. Yeah, yeah, let's not talk about Tenet and um, screen sizes. I I have bad history with weirdos on Twitter on that one. Oh, those weirdos. Those weirdos on Twitter. Speaking of weirdos, finally, finally, we need to get to the actual Star Trek. Uh, So, normally we cover three episodes. Because we're doing a film, we're doing an episode and a film. And what better to pair with Wrath of Khan than Star Trek, the original series, season one, episode 24, titled Space Seed. This ad on <laughs> I, I know I was I, I'm, I'm not going to bring it back to Overfiend or anything. HP <laughs> Lovecraft Space Seed. Oh oh god. I mean if he was even slightly more an exciting author. <laughs> um anyway, this aired on the 16th of February 1967. The teleplay was by Gene L. Kuhn and Carrie Wilbur. Story by Carrie Wilbur and directed by one Mark Daniels. Uh, the UK and US number one hit that came out at the same time as this was I'm a Believer by the Monkees. Yay! Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I, I, 
I, I unironically love the monkeys, and a good chunk of that is due to just how incredibly fun their TV show is. Mm. Like, well, yeah, and it's a it's a fun song. Like, you know, everyone, everyone kind of rags on the monkeys, but I honestly feel like the monkeys have some really good songs in them. They do, including one called "Randy Old Scout Skit." I did not know that. Yeah, it's um, it's they, it's um, it's actually titled after Alf Garnet, hence Randy Old Scouse Git. Um, but it's I, I think they've had on earlier editions of the UK version of that album, they had to censor out the title. Meanwhile, everyone in America is like, so what is a Randy Old Scouse Gite? Yeah, uh, how hmm. Curious how many of those words even really do anything over yeah, there. Yes, 12 years on and my attempt at American accent is still god-awful. Oh, it's brilliant. So, rather than carrying on with a terrible American accent, why not tell the good friends at home what exactly Space Seed is about? So, unfreeze your fascists starting now. So, uh, space. It's the final frontier. There's a ship, the Enterprise. They're, they're exploring, and they found a signal. And it's, it's uh, you notice know a sci-fi? Because they're referring to Morse as that old code that's been, that got, uh, disused years ago. It's my favorite little thing that comes up every so often in John Pertwee era Doctor Who. When they say, Morse, we abolished that years ago! Because this is the future! And they find a ship, which is called the SS Botany Bay. The Botany Bay was the ship that took um, prisoners from England to Australia. It was a penal ship. Hmm. No red hmm. flags there. So Kirk, Bones, Scotty, and um, the, his the ship's historian, Lieutenant uh, MacGyvers, which is spelled MacGyvers for some reason on Wikipedia, but it just, you know... She's descended from Richard Dean Anderson, so you, you can tell because the hair is amazing. They beam onto the ship, and they f it's it's a suspended animation ship with a bunch of people in suspended animation, including this really hunky guy in in brown face. Gotta say it, yeah. Um, who is the leader? And McGivers is like, yes, um, I I would like a slice of calm. And they trigger something, and Khan starts to fall out uh, because he's clearly the leader. They don't know he's called Khan yet. I'm sorry. I am. I'm. I'm, I'm. I'm doing Nolan style uh, jumping around in time for the sake of this recap. They take the hunky guy onto the ship and they save him. Kirk and Spock do some reading, and um, Spock's like, um, you know, Kirk is like, oh hey, um, a prison ship, um. This this could be this could be they could be some prisoners and Spock's like look this got launched in 1990s uh, during the Great Eugenics Wars which we all remember of course where um we all love the 90s and yep. those eugenics wars where genetically modified supermen uh, battle each other for dominance of the planet but Captain your idea that they shot some prisoners into space while Armageddon was going on that's a terrible idea. Spock is sometimes dumb for the necessity of the plot, but let's not talk about that now. 
the the leader Khan awakes and immediately ha does to McCoy what a lot of customers at Starbucks have done to me, which is pull a knife at me and, and um, demand answers. Where if I responded in the way that McCoy goes, it does when have a knife pulled at him, which is um, no, not there, mate. There, you'll get your drink in a minute. Um, the guy gives his name as Khan and McGivers again. She now that he's um. Now that she's out of suspend animation, he's out of suspend animation. She is ready to be all up in that con. Um, Kirk and Kirk is like, okay, um, will you know? Khan's like, hey, I'm an engineer. Can I read all your technical manuals on the ship? And Kirk goes, no red flags here, and gives him unfettered access to the to the ship's technical journals. They. Due to research back in the day, it turns out that one of the most notorious members of the Eugenics Wars super genetic criminals of the 1990s is called Khan Noonien Singh. And um, Spock's kind of shocked when Kirk, Scotty, and, and McCoy go, Oh, Khan, <laughs> what a character. At least he made the Eugenics trains run on time. And Spock's like, um, No, no, he didn't. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. Guy was a guy was a fascist. You shouldn't be liking this guy. Meanwhile, McGivers is getting close to Khan, who is indulging in some Fifty Shades of Grey esque um, control and dominance power play with McGivers, as he is going to guess what he wants to take over the ship. Ah, ah, weird. They have dinner, and um, Spock brings up the fact that Khan is actually Khan Noonien Singh, a dictator. And Khan goes, it's a fair cop, but you know what? I was good at it, goddammit. And so with the help of McGivers, he goes back onto the Botany Bay, awakens all his men. I forgot to mention that they're clearly all into CrossFit because every time they uh, awaken from the suspend animation, they start going into their yoga stretches. Look, man, I'm I'm in my forties. I need to limber up when I when I get up, when I go to bed, when I sit down. Oh, oh, and that is time. <laughs> Just as I mentioned, my creaky old body. Um, uh, yeah, I get it. Basically, fair, fair, fair enough. Um, okay, Khan and his uh, his legion of supermen beam back onto the Enterprise and take over the entire ship effortlessly. Turns out, Cook should have really made sure that all Khan had to read was this fluffy bunny and um, the joys of diversity. To, and Khan takes over the ship and he sticks Kirk in the space decompression chamber to blackmail the bridge crew into giving him full control of the ship. Everyone of the bridge crew is basically like, nah, nah, mate, we ain't doing it. Uh, but McGivers has second thoughts on betraying everybody just because she won the slice of Khan and frees Captain Kirk from the space decompression chamber before he gets the space bends. And Kirk is able to um, unleash knockout gas, which on every deck, you would think this would get used more often in Star Trek, given how many times people in Star Trek get their ship taken over. But no. No, they he don't. Had it installed special, you know? possibly. Yeah, with the help of Spock, they managed to take control of the ship. Khan bolts it and makes it to engineering. Kirk goes after him, 
because it has to be mano a mano, Kirko versus Kano. And um, Kirk and Khan get into a fight, but for a, mo- a few moments, Kirk nips out, and his stunt double uh, comes in to fight Khan from some long shots. <laughs> and Kirk is able to defeat Charlie. Yep. What defeats a genetically engineered Superman? Who? A genetically engineered kryptonite? Um, no. Um, Charlie, did you ever play the game Double Dragon as a kid? A long time ago. You know what defeats a guy bigger and stronger than you? Oh, fucking hitting him with a pipe. A <laughs> length of fucking pipe, mate. Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, it's on the other hand, but Cook's like, aha! It turns out I have plot pipe. I love that. And proceeds to bludgeon Khan like five or six times with a bit of a, a bit of lead piping. Um, Conan and his men surrender, and Kirk's like, you know what? You tried to kill me. You tried to take over the ship uh, to reestablish a um, a fascist dictatorship, but we're just gonna let that slide. We found this planet, Seti Alpha Five. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a hell, but maybe you can make something of it. And, and Khan, to appear posh, goes Milton. And Kirk's like, I understand. And McGivers decides that, you know, for the partner for many, many crimes, um, she is going to go with Khan to uh, Seti Alpha 5 to try and build something. Spock goes, hmm, in a hundred years, what will they make of the planet Seti Alpha 5? And Kirk probably thinks, hmm, maybe we should have like a five-year checkup program. I really should make a note to have people regularly check up on the 70 or so genetically engineered super fascists we dumped on a planet, just in case, like, this comes around to bite me in the ass. And then Kirk goes to have a quick drink of Romulan Ale and probably forgets to put that in the log. End. Wow. That is three minutes 42 over. But my my word. (laughs) Charlie, I have a question for you. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Which three famous historical figures would you like to meet? If you want to hit them with lead piping, is optional. Okay, I was going to say, I'd like to meet H.P. Lovecraft, but only if I can beat him up. <laughs> okay, no that's, no, that's valid. If you want to meet H.P. Lovecraft so you can beat him up, we'll go with that. Good, shove him in a locker or something, you know. He needed something to into him. Yeah. Um, God, I mean, that is a difficult thing. So you go, oh yes, I'd love to meet ex-person like i'd love to meet Sautel and go what the fuck were you thinking mate and what was like i don't know he was an incredible mind but also an incredible arsehole um i, I would yeah li- i would like to meet tolkien oh yeah and, and just go out with like a pint yes I, I i bet tolkien was fun over a pint lewis yeah. i'm sure would tack along and would get a little bit weird but like you know, having a pint with Tolkien and C.S. Lewis sounds sounds fun. God, I've I realised we've approached this in two different ways. Yeah, your way is definitely better. Of yeah, let's have a drink with these people rather than I'm just going to go back in time, beat up a nerd, and then yeah, find out from a despot how how. Oh and it. oh and <laughs> Churchill, I'd go back in time and uh, oh, it depends. Because with Churchill, it's com- with Churchill, he he is like it, it's complicated 
mm. with Churchill. Maybe I can exchange it to have like I instead I, instead of meeting Churchill, the incredibly problematic British Prime Minister, I I can meet Churchill, the dog, who, oh, who sells insurance. Yeah, he's lovely. I'd love to meet Churchill, the dog. Yeah. Um, and not with a bit of lead pipe. Oh no, I'd have the lead pipe so I can throw it so Churchill can could fetch it and bring it back to me. Oh God, what's what's her name? Uh, I've been listening to uh, cool people that did cool stuff, and with the Paris Commune, there was uh, there were some great people that mm. were in there. And yeah, chatting to some of them about okay, what happened, what went well, what didn't, and again, like. They did some brilliant things. Um, they they fucked up here and there, but yeah. Anyway, anyway, on to back onto this rather than you know, just the people. If you have right, if you have about eighty genetically engineered Hitlers, are you just going to Australia them? Like, um, what was. If by if by Australia you mean I I just I just like dump dump their bodies somewhere. I mean, I guess I'm... it's slightly worse than I don't know. Is that better or worse? Okay, because like he, the 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 metaphor that the the metaphor they used was like eighteen Napoleons. Yeah, and you're like, are you sure? Because if you go to the the Napoleon comparison, you know what happened when you exiled him to. Alba. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird comparison. To be honest, their whole attitude was a bit weird as far as going, oh yeah, that despot. God, he was a dictator and everything. Oh, it was it was ludicrous. But love his tactics. Great uniform. He was a nice dictator. Exactly. You knew where you stood with <laughs> It's like um I'm as as a nerd in his in his early 40s now, I've had some friends who you have some drinks with and go, oh, yes, we like Red Dwarf, make jokes about that, Monkey Island. And they, for some reason, they have a worryingly quick dive into German or any of those kind of things where it's like, oh, oh, dear. Oh, yeah, this is like, uh, oh, it's all comedic. But um, mm, yeah. It's always weird when you you go okay, right? You're you're hanging out with your mates like Spock is, and they just go, you know, express some admiration for a, a fascist. It's a bit weird. I, I admit I've been very fortunate. Like I I think a good chunk of my friends have generally turned ended up being queer enough that like you know like fascism ends up going like no no mm. yeah no. Which is the right response. Yeah. You know, um, I admit, yeah, I've, I think I've lost contact with pretty much everyone from, from my past. And almost all of them would not be like that at all. But there's a certain type of nerd, you know, who, again, mm. quotes Red the Wolf a lot, plays Risk a lot, is a little too into their, their war memorabilia. Oh, yeah. And yeah, this it felt like that, and I'm guessing it was a bit sooner, a bit nearer back then in the sixties. And I don't know any of that attitude of almost sportsmanship with war, where you know when you're a country where it's a lot less on your goddamn doorstep, 
mm. you can you can play at that and that can but bleed through it, into here it, it, it's weird especially since like we've had an episode in the series where kirk is fundamentally trying to track down this guy who might be space pole pot yeah and maybe about to do a, reven a, a revenge killing mm. yeah yeah i mean don't get me wrong i would infirm guy and all that but yeah yeah basically at that point so well yeah, maybe these space dictators should be should be scared and should be. At the same time, I think what they're guilty of is the same thing like a lot of Western countries are guilty of in how we do romanticize the past. Yeah. Like I you know, we're both British. This is this is a this is a conversation I think worryingly has been going back and forth for most of our lives about how we should present um, the empire, the monarchy, mm. our our colonialism. Yeah, and it's kind of worrying that we're kind of people are going like, it was fine when we had colonies. It was fine when we oppressed these countries. I guess yeah, in a way, it's almost closer to that attitude of people that are very much apologists for Victorians or, mm. you know, we went to um, the, we went to a museum in Manchester where it was the museum of science and technology and half of it was closed, but the textile bit was all there. And it's like, look at all of this stuff and how many limbs and how many children were lost running these machines. And, you know, our, our Imperial heritage is one, which is awful. You know, we did a lot of really shit yeah. things to the world. And it's fascinating seeing a lot more museums being open and going, East India Company, kind of the villains like yeah. of, of history in many, many ways. And I guess in a way, this is more Kirk and Scotty and Bones going, well, East India Company had some great ships, you know, all of this sort of stuff where you get people like myself going, well... Yeah, we're playing a Jane Austen game, but when we say new money, we kind of know where a lot of that new money would have come from. <laughs> with Varad. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a weird one with this. I keep saying that. But yeah, it's it's a difficult thing to reconcile. And I guess the big difference with them versus us with this is, you know, the the English ruled so much for world uh, compared to with the eugenics wars where i'm still not a hundred percent clear on how this was a world war if it's like 80 hitlers ran around the world like... I, I i think there were 80 hitlers left okay well because i i think definitely one of, one of the things i think they're drawing on is the nazis in hiding in brazil like the boys in Bra the boys from brazil kind of yeah, thing yeah i mean conscience for king did that a bit better than than this i, I and, think and going you know we got a spaceship of 80 evil super soldiers is a is a good plot is an interesting thing macgyver sadly is exactly one of those military historians that is way too into dictators yeah even, even before he's thawed out um i did like that she was like oh yeah no i know who you are like she knew with all this, um, where the others had to get to that point. And yeah, like, as a couple, they weren't great. Come, uh, there was definitely some negging going on from Carl. Oh, yeah. 
And um, yeah, then it was nice seeing her betray him. But then, of course, ending up with him. And um, hey, it's it's not Wrath of MacGyver's that we're going to be talking about shortly. I admit, I could I spent a good chunk of the early part going where when because she specifically identifies him as a Sikh, mm. and I admit I spent that first half going, but where's his turban? Yeah, and then when you see the drawing she's doing of Khan, mm. he, he's got the turban. So I'm like, okay, so clearly the Botany Bay were like, okay, do we pack our gym equipment or our turbans? Gym turbans, yeah, turbans just get thrown out the side. Gym Fred's equipment. Side. Yeah. yeah, you know, Khan's going to stare down Kirk and just go, stunt double, do you even lift, bro? I I love it in old TV shows where we can see the stunt doubles mm. because of digital remastering. Oh, it, it's man. great. It's great. I love it. Yeah, and um, having not seen this episode at all, and seen having seen Wrath of Khan, I think, what, maybe twice now uh, in my life, three at uh, push. Um Khan really loves getting his cleavage out, doesn't he? Yeah. Like um, you know, it's I only I, the I get... last bit where he's not is not kind of yeah, all out you, there. You, you know what? Um I guess Ricardo Multiband was just like, you know, I'm 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 showing, I'm showing this. them off. Yeah. I'm showing them I'm showing off my guns. Check out check out this 12 pack. Yeah. It it was an interesting one this episode with so, overall, I think the plot with all oh, your weird evil super soldiers and one of them's doing all this kind of stuff, taking over the ship, is interesting, but is a plot that's used way too often these days. Hmm. Hell, in Star Trek Into Darkness, you've got Khan who does the inevitable, I will get captured because, hey, I'm really, you know, actually completely fine. Who's the real prisoner here? Which was such a stereotype in action films at that point and hasn't really gone away that no. often. But I... here it's here at least you can see with the frankly with the incompetence of the crew going, yes, look at all of our technical manuals and get romantically attached to someone that can get you access to everything. All of these kind of things. Like his plot would be more interesting if there weren't a lot of issues and a lot of bits of baggage between the the brown face the uh, yeah the weird admiration of a despot and the fact that what we're we going to do we'll pretty much give him exactly what he wants because i like the cut of his jib i i, I wonder if uh donald trump has sent this is the one episode of uh Star Trek Donald Trump has seen, and that's why he's kind of just expecting to be let off for his many, many crimes. Oh, it's for one to take absolutely no lessons from. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, unless, uh, unless you're Spark, which, in which case, like, no, this is bad. Yeah, don't trust these humans. You've seen this. Like, when they were like, oh, yeah, there's a bit of savagery in all of us. So, Kirk, stop, one, stop flirting. Two, yeah, that... Th a bit no. of savagery and all that is one thing in going, yeah, we're a bit more passionate, a bit more human. But yeah, when it's like, yeah, we've all got this little bit of a megalomaniac who wants to just conquer everything. No, no. But look, I, look, I was a supervisor at Starbucks for about six years. 
Mm-hmm. And I only got my tits out once, and that was on my last day. That's pretty restrained. Yeah. And at no point did I declare myself like, oh, God, you know if Khan were written today, he would be kind of a, a, a like a Tate-style like self-proclaimed alpha male on social on social media. Oh God, yeah, totally. You know, yes, I'll tell you all you're worthless, and you'll give me all your money. Um, Con yeah. would definitely be like, I have never seen Star Trek, but I own Asia. Who is winning now, liberals? Oh dear. So he came from what ninety three or thereabouts. Do you reckon before he got shot into space, he got to see Jurassic Park? I don't know. I, I think um, he would find that offensive. Because it's a movie about genetic about genetic engineering. Of course. He was probably a big falling down fan though. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. See, I, I think he's probably upset that he wasn't shot into space to watch cheesy movies, which was a very popular thing to do in the nineties. Yeah, I I admit when they first said, Oh yes, this is a spaceship from the nineties, my first thought was, yeah, they're going to be playing like the <laughs> Dawson's Creek theme tune or something in there. Maybe that's what he was. Uh, Khan was modeling his leadership style after the Dawson. Oh, never, never become the Dawson. Never become the Dawson. You, you need to become the Pacey. All right. So, so, yeah, we've got a big list, and it goes all the way from number one to number sixty-three in the best to worst episodes and films of Star Trek. And at the number one spot, we have Emissary from Deep Space Nine. We have the first movie, Star Trek, the motion picture Star Trek, in at number nine. We really liked that one. It went, it, it was one I expected to be bored by and really enjoyed. Uh, around, around the halfway point, roughly. We've got The Least Dangerous Game in 32 from Lower Decks, where Martok is a virtual GM. And finally, down the very, very bottom, we've got Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, where they don't really do anything about a machine that kills boys to make a city float. So, yeah. So I guess, similarly... They also do nothing really to stop this death, no. other than just get him off their ship. Yeah, like this is, I this is a weird one because we're basically kind of watch where Rafikan is concerned. Mm. This is um, this is um, what the Phantom. This is the Phantom Menace of the Khan storyline. The the attack of the attack of the clones of the Khan storyline. They're certainly a bit blithe and unconcerned about who they've unfrozen. Yeah, and. For all that's good in it, and there are some fun moments, it still it, it feels is... like it's got a number of the issues of that original series kind of thing. It's you know? it's stuff that we've kind of seen before. Yeah. Like at number eleven, we've got uh, TOS: The Conscience of the King, which is my personal favorite episode of TOS, which also deals with power crazy eugenicists and their love of moida and i feel that it's treated a lot more seriously there than here but also because this is this is the 
this is the in, this is the prequel to Rafa Khan. Can we list this episode completely on its own merits and not because it's part, you know, not because it connects to what is like culturally the Star Trek thing, the Star Trek film. So in that regard, I admit while you were, while you were talking about conscience for King, I was scrolling down the list. (laughs) I was like, where's our, our worst one? from the original series because yeah con is important but this is the first time i've seen space seed and i've not yeah. felt a, a massive need to have seen space seed and coming out from it i i am more informed i feel like you can easily watch wrath of khan without having seen space seed yes um so like the our lowest ranking tos episode is the changeling at number 47 um which deals with kirk's water heater son from space yeah yeah and just up from that we've got charlie x where we have a, a totally different creep didn't we watch the changeling for our motion picture episode we did indeed we did indeed yeah um yeah so i mean we've got a little bracket of those there I mean, looking at all of these, like, they're... Pro- it's difficult with them. I, I, I'm i loath to create just a clump of original series for the sake of it. I think it's probably better than The Changeling. I, I would definitely... I would definitely agree, because, like, this is a, you know, this has a decent A-half, B-half. Mm. Um... Personal politics aside, because you know we don't want to get po- personal politics involved in talking about Star Trek. Oh, we've been completely neutral all this time. Oh yeah, we we have been centrist this whole time. Um, so is sure, I this? You said neutral, not you know just favoring the right. You're oh sorry, you're correct. <laughs> um, so do you fi- think this is better or worse than? Uh, Charlie X. <sighs> See, it's where I'm loath to get to, like, just create an original series clump of not quite mediocrity, but you know, of of ones that aren't great. I think I prefer Charlie X. Um, but I, I would it's this one. I I would I, I would have to read because I I think. Charlie X for like its weird creepiness. It's fine. It's it's fun, and I think the creepiness helps to kind of just show the just, disconnect. Oh, yeah, between... this twenty-one-year-old yeah. teenager is is getting weirdly obsessive. So like, it's so like when he's slapping people's behinds, it's not. It's treated as a bad thing, and not just Kirk going, <laughs> "Boys will be boys." Yeah, yeah. Where it feels like this Kirk in this episode is very much like, oh, he killed how many people? Wow, you've got to admire those tactics. Okay, just going to say, um, good old JL or Cisco would not, would like, wouldn't give Khan two seconds. Fuck no. Like, John Luke would probably put him back in the cargo freeze. Cisco would punch him, steal his wallet, shoot him, and then put him in the car, put him in the back in cryogenic 
with a sign saying, don't be a fascist. Yeah, I mean, God, Janeway would probably do close enough to that and then be questioned on it by a lot of the audience as well. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's it's very much product of its time. It's very much product of some awkward politics with it. And it's really interesting how it's it's actually been made in something far greater with Wrath of Khan. Originally, apparently, um, they wanted Khan to be like a Nordic type Superman. Huh. Instead of like Eastern Indian pack. Well, he's a Sikh. So I wonder how like that would have gone if it was like Nordic Fabio blonde haired. I probably two on the nose. Yeah, yeah. I mean these days it would have gone down very well, you know, getting yeah. your, your whole weird golden one type. Your um, your your Bened- your Benedict Cumberbatch. He'd be a terrible <laughs> calm. He'd be a terrible calm. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch would be a rubbish calm, thinking about it. He wouldn't he wouldn't get his baps out. <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't. He's too British. <laughs> All right, Sorry. so, so, are we gonna? Are we gonna? Is this gonna be our new number forty-seven? Get a big. I think it might have to be, and we're we're <laughs> going to be aiming for some bottom shooters at some point soon. So that might break up the little kind of original series ghetto. For, yeah, that we've created. Hey, hey, hey number forty-five is Cat's Paw. Which is the favorite episode of Willy, the Casual Treks ship's cat? Oh, and I concur. When this episode started, one of the things I wrote to you was, "Yeah, why? Why is this the episode that they're adapting and not Cat's Paw?" Which actually fits with where we've put it on the list. Yeah, but would you want Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Clangers? Yes. Answer yes, I would. Answer my own question now. <laughs> Always, always. Uh, like what? Yeah. What other TOS episodes that we've seen so far could they have made into a sequel? Uh, I mean, Caretaker already kind of not Caretaker, not um, Changeling already Changeling. kind of did. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, See, Errand of Mercy, you'd need to basically just do it as a redo of that episode, or or Balance of Terror. Yeah. Ooh. Taste of Armageddon would could have been a good one, because then like you've got like a planet which Kirk has like two planets which Kirk has kind of screwed over mm. by making them have an actual war. What if the two planets join together to have a wrath against to to take out their wrath on James Kirk? That would be interesting. That would be. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Mirror Mirror, you could have done like a, a Mirror Universe movie. What, a sequel to the Mirror Mirror episode? Yeah, that would, Trek I, wouldn't do that. No, no. Let's see what else. Oh man, do you want to be a would, would be a terrible one? The, mm. A sequel to the cage. Yeah. It would, it would just be a film where these guys just really want Kirk to fuck. <laughs> God. Well, on that note. On that note. Okay. So we're done with Space Seed. So, next up, we have the main event of the evening. It is Star Trek II, colon, The Wrath of Khan. The release date was 8th of June 1982. The screenplay 
was by Jack B. Sowards and an uncredited Nicholas Meyer. The story by Harve Bennett and Jack B. Sowards and directed by Nicholas Meyer. The UK and US number one hits. Uh, the UK one was House of Fun by Madness. Way love a bit of madness. Love it, love it. Like I think out of all the songs we've had to to talk, what, listen to, and talk about for this show, I think this might be the one I love the most. Okay, this is just wonderful and daft. Uh, it's it's a joy, and I think there was a very brief period where I looked worryingly like the lead singer uh, between having long hair and having no hair. Oh, yeah, it was an so, odd look. There was a point when you looked like this guy because you had hair. Somewhere between that and and kind of smash mouth, like. It's probably for the best I've got it, no hair now. It, it's probably for the best, because like, it could be worse. You could be me, who looks like a Ringo Starr impersonator. I mean, you definitely look like you could be in one of those more retro-y uh, bits from a Star Wars. You know, mm. you've got that... You know, I've got the I've rebel got the hair. outfit. Yeah. Yep, I've got my uh, Magneto made some valid points, which is a good T-shirt. When you know talking about on the, talking about fascism. Yes. Um. Yeah. The US number one hit was "Ebony and Ivory" by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Which, mm. yeah, yeah. It's 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 latter day Paul McCartney. It's like yeah. um, respect for the guys, an artist. There's just something about most Paul, about most Paul McCartney that just like after he and Lennon just kind of split, there was just something he was just never the same. Yeah, I think the the only one of his later works that I've really liked was "Live and Let Die," but the best Bond song, like <laughs> I would say, "Live and Let Die" is the best is the best Bond song. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's still a soft spot in my heart for "View to a Kill," but Ooh. that's it, I, you're a good a good level of. Um... I, I I admit, like, I'm weird because I I don't like Bond films. I kind of just despise James Bond as a character and as an and an institution. But I have this I I have this weird kind of Kieran Gillen esque obsession with like Bond songs because I always feel that like they're like a postcard. Mm. Of the era of which they're made. That said, um, Billie Eilish's um, one for No Time to Die is surprisingly good. Adele for Skyfall. Like, I've not seen any of the films, but like, I like the songs. See, I, I wasn't as much a fan of Adele's Skyfall and is it Sam Smith? Like, their one felt the most <laughs> dirgy kind of uninteresting one. Billie Eilish, I can't remember. But I've liked some of her music and mm. yeah, it's I don't know, I expected to go into it and go, okay, is this going to be like the world's not enough? Where I'm I'm a big garbage fan. Still massive crush on Shirley Manson and yeah, like that was that was a good theme. A terrible movie, but a good theme. Meanwhile, then there was "Die Another Day" by Madonna, which is terrible theme, terrible, terrible movie. movie. Yep, uh, you know it's not a terrible movie, Mars. Um, the black hole. I I was hoping you'd set me up for for the next bit, but um... oh, oh no, is this actually? I did quickly look up 
what other film what other sf films came out in 1982 mm-hmm. and i feel like i have to mention some of these because this was a good year oh um in 1982 we got tron okay we got the original cut of blade runner yeah we got et we got john carpenter's the thing oh my um then uh wes craven's swamp thing movie huh the the feature film version of the manga Space Adventure Cobra, which is a fun bit of eighties anime. Um, then we have Megaforce, which is a terrible film involving motorcycle A team and um, thumb kisses. Right, and a little film called Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Nice, that's a a mostly very good selection there. And then there's also a Roger Corman alien knockoff called Forbidden World, where I think um, someone gets raped to death. Oh dear! Yeah, Roger, what are you just? It, it was it was cocaine era, Roger. It was eight. It was cocaine era, Roger. Of course, of course. And yeah, oh, yeah. Halloween free. The one Halloween film not starring Michael Myers. Yeah, which is interesting but like it's better than a lot of the later halloween films and again i'm that guy who's like i'd rather something a series try something new and fails mm. than play safe and achieves nothing definitely and, like they tried to kind of turn halloween into like a horror they basically tried to cloverfield halloween yeah, like a good right. 40 years early and it failed so badly they just went back to like okay fine Michael Myers is killing teenagers again. Didn't we blow him up in the last film? Whatever. There's a pagan cult sure. involved. There we go. We don't talk about it. Yeah, why not? All right. So, yeah, Star Trek to Narath Khan, which gets to be um, summarized because this is a double length. We are going for a 10 minute time. Oh, Charlie, do you, do you need to do some Khan-esque stretches? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to limber up for this one. And I've seen my notes, which I thought I'd abbreviated. Um, but yeah, All right. this, this will be interesting. Okay, and Charlie, you are being filmed in uh, widescreen. So oh. and we're going to CGI a creature on you afterwards. So okay. can you can you get into your mocap suit? Oh, not again. We're going to digitally replace you with the guy who plays the parrot in Aladdin. Oh. Yeah. Gilbert Gottfried. That's the one. We're going to CGI replace you with CGI Gilbert Gottfried. I swear, Miles, all the CGI that we use in these episodes of Casual Trek, you, you, you promise it's worth it, because I'm going bust with the amount we're spending on Yeah, it. but your CGI head of hair is luxurious. Oh, that's all right, then. As long okay. as it can be as luxurious as Khan's. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Our effects aren't that good. All right. Oh. So, Charlie, widescreen, 10 minutes, Wrath of Khan, make it so. Wow, Wrath of Khan time. And the Enterprise has a captain's log being delivered from a woman. What? Oh, my God. And a Vulcan, Savek. And she's breaking the rules to go into the Klingon neutral zone to rescue the Kobayashi Maru. And basically anyone who has seen Star Trek after the early 1980s will know what this means. 
but she doesn't. And sure enough, the Klingons appear, everything goes to hell. All until, it turns out, this was just a test. What a twist! Kirk appears to congratulate Savik on her failure, and she calls shenanigans that this is a no-win situation, and yeah, yeah, that's the point. Spock even points out that Kirk had to do it three times before he passed. It's Kirk's birthday, and Bones has gifts of both Romulan ale and some reading glasses, because Kirk's allergic to easy surgery that would mean that you'd be able to, you know, not need glasses. Uh, Kirk's feeling a bit mopey about his age, and Bones suggests maybe get your command back, because apparently that's just a thing you can do. Meanwhile, the Reliant, another Federation ship, is approaching SETI Alpha 6. That sounds vaguely familiar. And there's something called Project Genesis. Chekhov's here. Apparently his his part of the crew for this ship. And they're looking for a lifeless planet. There's also a kind of science station called Regular One with a Dr. Carol Marcus and her son, who is a bit weird. They're both also part of this team. And there's definitely some baggage still going on about Dr. Marcus's ex, one big old Jimbo T. Kirk. Down on the planet, Chekhov and Captain Terrell find some cargo containers, which is weird, and it's from something called the Botany Bay. Chekhov heard our recap and freaks out about this, but it's way too late. A wild Khan appears. He's a product of late 20th century genetic engineering and was marooned here by Captain Kirk. He's from the 90s. Possibly from the year of Space Jam and Jarvis Cocker's Brit Awards stage invasion. He wants revenge on Captain Kirk for abandoning him here in this hellhole. He sticks some weird, horrid worm things in Terrell and Chekhov's ears, which honestly gave me nightmares for like a decade after I saw this. Kirk goes to board the... (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I've been trying to hold it in with Jarvis Cocker. (laughs) I was trying to think of 90s things. That's that's what came up. Anyway, Kirk is... um, Kirk decides to take the time to board the Enterprise and starts moaning about these damn kids, how they're treating his baby, which, you know, there's still some old Enterprise staff here and they feel like they're being lumped in with all this. He has a look around engineering as if he knows what any of the stuff does and some weird, ominous, like, glassed-off areas full of radioactive stuff. He decides he's going to take the Enterprise out for a bit of a ride. And um, back on regular one, the Reliant is um, the Reliant contacts Dr. Marcus and says, we're coming over to you to pick up all your materials for the Genesis project. This is not in the plan. The scientists love the Federation. They don't like Starfleet and they are really pissed off. And a mind controlled Chekhov blames all of this on Kirk. This means he gets an angry phone call from Dr. Marcus saying, why are you taking Genesis? What's going on? But there's too much interference to actually discuss it properly. So the Enterprise, I guess its tour is going to be over to there and see what on earth the X is on about. Kirk sees uh, Spock about, "Is, is the ship actually ready to do any of this? And they have a nice little chat, which does mention that, in there about the needs of the many outweighing the needs of a few, or the one, which, you know, stick a pin in that. Back over the Enterprise, sees the Reliant, and Khan is flying in to intercept Kirk. His crew, 
or at least one of his crew, Joachim, who must have been a child in Space Seed, is wondering, could they just leave? We've got a spaceship, a really good spaceship. And Khan gives a big tar a big speech about uh how Kirk tasks him and basically is not letting it go. Surveyed side, fine, we'll pursue your vengeance quest. And um, yeah, over on the Enterprise. Kirk gets Bones and Spock over into his room and explains what Genesis is. It's not a band. That's from the 80s, not the 90s, after all. Or, or the Sega console. Or the Sega console, yeah. Um, I mean, it was the Mega Drive over here, but fine. Yeah. Anyway, the Genesis Project is none of those things. It's a way of getting life from lifeless planets. Ideally, the more lifeless, the better, because it will wreck everything that was there before and bones is instantly against this just a concept and how it could be used as a massive wmd where the enterprise line have been seeing each other the reliant hasn't been answering any hails instead khan's monologuing at an empty screen and i guess to his own men about revenge mainly the enterprise can sense this wave of villainy and they go to alert but they don't raise their shields soon enough to stop khan from scoring a direct hit on them and on engineering everything shakes oh no they're stuck they can't get out of here quickly and Verlan asks for their surrender Khan and Kirk meet on screen and Kirk offers himself up knowing that he is exactly what Khan wants thing is Khan also wants Genesis and Kirk stalls in some extremely blatant ways I'm guessing despots from the 90s haven't seen people miming and kind of just play acting at obeying commands while chatting just off screen before they managed to quietly get the code for reliance shields fire on them and now the reliant does its shaky explosion dance all over the place and they're both fucked or at least they're not going anywhere soon uh scotty comes up to show off the crispiest member of his team for bridge and yeah it's not looking good for the enterprise at this point um the Enterprise limps over to regular one at uh, impulse speed and Kirk, Bones and Savick beam over to where it's all creepy and abandoned. They find a rat, which I guess I'm assuming it was a science rat, not just a rat got on board. There's also several dead bodies and Chekhov and Terrell have both been shoved into a locker like a big pair of nerds. Khan's been here, killed people left to blow up the Enterprise and shove these two in there for whatever reason. Apparently, they're not mind-controlled anymore. Looking at the transporters, apparently someone's been down to the planetoid regular that the base is orbiting, even though it's just a, a rock and completely incapable of, of giving life. Um, so the team risks it. They beam down to regular, and yeah, there's a base down here. And, oh, look, there's the Genesis device. That's great until Kirk gets basically attacked by Carol Marcus's son. Carol shows up, calls him off, and Kirk immediately realizes, oh, that's my kid. Oh, dear. It's another one. You know, first the giant floating toothbrush thing, now an actual human child. And even worse, Terrell and Chekhov, they're both still being mind controlled. Khan's been listening in all along. He tries to get Terrell to kill Kirk and Terrell, to his credit, fights it so much his brain explodes. And um, 
Like he turns the disruptor on himself to get the head bug out. And yeah, he's dead. Chekhov collapses and his bugs killed itself. I don't know. For some reason, he's bugged in a less deadly way. It's weird. But yeah, Kirk steps on it. Job, uh, no, he doesn't even step on it. It's he been shoots a few it. Days. He shoots it. God, wow. I should have seen this closer to today, apparently. Anyway, Khan's upset by this because there are no minions to do his bidding. Kirk gives him a good bit of a taunting and Khan just beams away the Genesis device. What a scamp. Khan explains, you know, this isn't just about this. You know, I, I wish to hurt you and I wish to keep on hurting you. He's a relentless font of hate. And I love that. Sometimes you need just that raw anger. And that's the point where you get Kirk shouting so loudly you can hear it in space. Khan! 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 Yeah, that. So yeah, that's all great. And then we're immediately over to the family soap drama. Do, do you know what's not so great? Oh, what's not so great? You you just hit 10 minutes. Miles! Charlie! <laughs> all right. I, I just need to interject one thing. Please, please. Because um, the book um, Spock gives Kirk for his birthday is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Ooh. A book which ends with, with a man choosing to sacrifice his life for another. Of course. Thematics. Wow, first Milton, and now Dickens. All the classics, man. The night, At least Khan never quotes, like, I don't know, Stephen King or Hunter S. Thompson. You know, quote that classic author, James Patterson. Uh, James Patterson. All right, anyway. okay. All right, and continue. Yes, so we get back to some family drama in amongst all the screaming as Kirk basically explains that he stayed away from Carol Marcus and her son David, just like she wanted. Apparently, she wanted him to be, a, David, to be a scienceman rather than a ship captain. So she figured the best way to do that was to raise him herself and not have Kirk involved. And, you know, we've seen Kirk. I get it. After all this, Carol shows Kirk the Genesis device's results basically what they've done in this old planetoid and have made an incredible cave teeming with life. It's it's pretty cool, you know, even for back then kind of effects. It's like, oh, it's quite nice. And Savick decides that after all of this drama, all of the terrible things that are going on, now's a good time to ask Kirk about his Kobayashi Maru. And basically he cheated. He got rewarded for innovation. After all, he doesn't believe in a no-win scenario. So yeah, I assume it's what, like those episodes of Taskmaster where you go like, you didn't quite follow the rules, but yeah, you know, I admire your moxie. Uh, speaking of moxie, oh, we've got both the Enterprise and the Reliance circling regular, trying to outmaneuver each other and how to get some, how to get a, an advantage on the uh on the reliant here fly into a nebula a very bisexual looking nebula the mitara nebula khan's ship doesn't want to go in there because their shields are going to be useless and khan doesn't give a shit he just wants vengeance full power go in there um uh, both the ships fly around in a suspenseful fashion looking for each other sulu spots the reliant and is going to have to fire manually he does 
and the return fire misses, and they're right on top of each other when the Enterprise takes a really rough hit. It fires back. The Reliant Bridge is ruined, is wrecked. The Enterprise isn't faring much better. The radiation is getting too much in engineering. Scotty collapses from that. Chekhov is at least back up and running, if a little a little creaky after losing the old brain bug. Hopefully his brain's mostly intact after that. I can't imagine it's comfortable. And yeah, the ships sell against each other in the nebula, and this is exactly that thing that you were mentioning the other episode about the balance of terror, that, oh my God, the suspense for submarines in space. At this point, Khan is pretty much alone. Like, he's, cover- he's surrounded by corpses. He's not going to surrender. He's going to detonate the Genesis wave, and that's going to kill them both. The Enterprise desperately needs warp speed in three minutes or they're all dead. Scotty isn't responding, so Spock just quietly gets up and leaves. Bones tries to stop him and chases after him and gets nerve pinched for all his effort and then kind of pushed, like squished in the face a bit by Spock, who goes, remember, and goes into a radiation booth to fix things. He unplugs a thing and gets covered with what I assume is extremely deadly radiation. It's not unlike the giant plug in the finale of Lost, but a little more deadly looking. Khan is just about hanging on in there. Please, the Enterprise can't get away. He does his whole, from hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. But ha, Spock's done the thing. They get warped, they flee. The Reliant blows up. Khan, at least, you know, he, he dies thinking that he's killed the Enterprise. So that's that's good, you know. Kirk thanks the engine room with no idea of what's going down there, sees Spock's chair and immediately realises what's up. He runs down and it's too late. Spock is dying and going in there to try and save him will kill anyone else even faster. Spock tries to make himself look presentable for Jim, but it's it's not good. It's sad. It's uncomfortable. And yeah, he asks if everyone's all right. And yes, yeah, they are. And We see his face all horridly burnt from the radiation and he gives the whole needs for many outweigh the needs for few kind of thing. And yeah, this was Spock's Kobayashi Maru. It's no win situation. And he, he, I, he and Kirk press their hands together from opposite sides of the glass doing the Vulcan thing and does his whole, um, I have been and always shall be your friend. And then he's gone. And it's it's tragic. And we get Spock's funeral. And yeah, Kirk is really struggling to get his eulogy out, saying that of all the souls he met, Spock's was the most human. And it's like we talk about Hammy Shatner. This is this is good Shatner. This is a man yeah. who is like, I've been there. It's difficult to get all of it out in a eulogy and it's it's so very human doing that and yeah they fire the coffin at the newborn genesis world because the genesis device blowing up isn't just detonating a spaceship it's spawning life on tau seti 6 um well tau seti 5 i missed the whole thing but it's not important yeah, after all that, David goes to meet his dad 
just as Kirk's feeling mortal and old, having lost his best friend and not liking to wear his new glasses. And David says, oh, I'm proud to be your son. They have a hug. And everyone watches the Genesis planet and we zoom in through the trees, through the fresh sunlight. What do we see at the end? Why, it's Spock's coffin. What does it mean? Check in in about 10 more episodes of this and we'll tell you. Six minutes, 37 seconds. Wow, that's quite the overrun. <laughs> yep. And going by our time, we have 20 minutes to talk about this. We have like... 26 minutes to talk about this episode. Man, we spent way too long talking about Space Seed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. Hmm. Right. Okay. That's because we have, like, give us, like, 10 minutes or five, 10 minutes or so to, you know, to do the end, to do the outro. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You missed, I think the glasses were meant to have been broken in the battle. And that's why he kind of throws them down. Yeah, I saw them. I saw it on such a tiny screen. I didn't catch that that bit of it. Um, I love the new uniforms. Oh, these are. I was. Uh, r- my wife and I were watching the last episode of season one of Strange New Worlds last night. Mm. You know, second time for me, second third time for me, first time for her. And like, you have Pike in like the in the movie. Like, they're the best uniform. They they're are. the best Star Trek uniforms. They're nice. They're burgundy. And yeah. they look awesome. They're um, they're the kind of thing that I'm pleased that you got the nice, bright, strange new worlds uniforms. I like a bit of color, mm. but these ones are very evocative of this era and of a kind yeah. of oh, these these are the movie versions. Like these, these look like they've had. They look like naval uniforms. Yeah. Speaking of which, Kurt's got an awful lot of guns on his wall. Yeah. That felt weird. I guess, I guess maybe between this and and Space Seed, he is just a weird military historian guy. Look, he he's hit middle age, so like, so clearly he's now going to be t- watching documentaries on World War Two a lot. Oh Jesus, he's become a gun guy. Um, yeah, I. So it's been a long time since I've seen this. But there are some bits of it that are just etched in my memory. And for going through like the video of the Genesis effect, I forget if that's in number three, but that is something that is seared into my memory as far as Star Trek goes. Yeah. Like that's some early CG mm. um proper full on CG effects. When they've oh, they've got some lovely bits. Like this is not the motion picture as far as just gorgeous like just artful gorgeousness of it but it still looks very nice whenever you get like a silhouetted view of regular one it's it's gorgeous this looked you know? really fantastic on the big screen yes like it's oh man like it's it's always like watching us i'm like man watching like the control room of of uh regular one I'm like man i miss when sets had to be a hundred to 90 to 100 percent physical sets and not just we'll film you under a green screen and we'll just we'll do it we'll fix it in post yeah and it'll have all this whizzy bullshit going around and hologram panels that'll just float around it looks tactile yes like i was watching like oh i could touch like i could be like touching this stuff and people be saying like don't touch that i'm like i'm touching the thing yeah i um i love the the junky tech in alien and mm. how that looks. This yeah. this feels bigger and more open 
and more, you know, utopian sci-fi than Alien, but it still looks like a thing you have engineers it, physically moving it around. It looks functional. Yes. It looks like an it looks like a lived-in space. Like this is definitely I I think you're having this is where they're taking the alien the post-alien post Star Wars. This is science fiction where people live. Mm. Like it looks like a place where you can expect to see like noodle cups and like a couple of cans in the corner. Yeah, yeah, like the scientists having you know coffee rings on a on like, a surface. Th- these these guys are definitely on the gr- on definitely um in grind mode at this point with the Genesis project definitely. Yeah. And it, I yeah I liked that we got the kind of what was going on with regular one where you go these are Federation but not scientists similar to how in Strange New Worlds recently seeing a lawyer who is in the Federation but is not a Starfleet person. Yeah coming up against the the monolith you know as good as a lot of what starfleet does is that doesn't stop it being this almost all-encompassing thing that is um an obstruction for some people and seeing them on the station the reliant which we didn't get enough of what the reliant was like before it got taken over but i guess we didn't entirely know that just to go captain terrell Chekhov is his, his first, oh, like first, first officer. officer. Yeah, good for Chekhov. Apart from you know the whole brain bug thing, and yeah, that genuinely gave me nightmares for like an instinctual fear that a bug was going to go into my ear for years later. Yeah, so I'd sleep with blankets up just over my ears uh, for for so many years as a kid. Like, man, you know how I love Star Trek uh, motion picture. Yeah. And, like, you know when you have a film or an episode of a TV show, which is, like, regardless, the best ever, and you want to find, you, you want to find the hot take that'll deflate everything. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down, you watch it, and you go, shit. It could, though. It, it, it could. Like... It could. Like I like watching the Star Wars prequels and having people go, oh, you really reevaluate them, you know, these days. And you go, no, still, still pretty shit. Like it's they're still not great. Like they're not similar with this of going. People always go Wrath of Cards for best. It's like it is actually pretty fucking good, right? Mm. Um, Yeah, it's it felt like even though. Sometimes I get a bit peeved that every James Bond has to be a personal thing now. And, you know, it's all got to be relating to your dark past and all of this sort of stuff. And a vengeance quest rather than, you know, dude's a punch clock spy. Yeah. Do do some things that are just for mission. You don't need every Star Trek plot to be a deep personal mission for our protagonists. It's one of the reasons why Discovery seasons one and two can come across as pretty weak when it is all just the Michael Burnham show. But I I have I would have to say what makes this stand out against like all the other Star Trek attempts to rip off Rafa Khan, like Star Trek Into Darkness, um uh First Contact, um Nemesis, ugh, is that for Kirk, this isn't a vengeance quest. Yeah. The only person who is treating us as a the only person who is treating Khan as Kirk's 
Joker is Khan. Yeah, even Khan's crew aren't. They're like, oh, fuck, we got this ship. Just let him kill Kirk and then we'll go, all right? Like, the only person who thinks Khan is, like, Kirk's number one biggest, 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 biggest rival is Khan. For for Kirk, Khan was, like, this weird guy he met for, a cu- like, Tuesday ten years ago. He's, like, I don't know. Um, okay. What's a he deal- had more love for that Romulan commander. Yeah, who's a D-list? No, Klingon. Yeah, who's a D-list Batman villain? Like what, the Ten-Eyed like, Man. Yeah, yeah, the Ten-Eyed like, Man. Uh, like, Kill him off? Is he uh, D-list? Let's go, let's go, he I, I think he's like Amidala. A-list. To be- there you go. There we go. Scarface. Uh, and uh, and the Ventriloquist. Wow, I'd have I'd have put them at C, maybe. Oh, fa- oh fair enough. Victor Zaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Victor Zaz. Yeah. Yeah, there we yeah. Like yeah, like Khan like Khan wants to be Kirk's bane. He <laughs> wants to he wants to break the Jim T Kirk and Kirk's like who's this dick? Yeah, you aren't even the trigger twins, mate. Yeah. And, and like that the, the like watching this, the the thing I love about the film is that Kirk is generally like one or two steps ahead. Like Khan gets in a good first blow, yep. and then like then Khan outwits him to steal Genesis. But like at every other opportunity, Kirk and the Enterprise are one step ahead of the guy who thinks himself so superior because they have they have the experience, they have the knowledge, and like because you you have in Space Seed where Khan goes like, yeah, you you have your technology. But you're not as advanced as we are, and Kirk's like, I have a pipe that says otherwise. <laughs> Whereas in Wrath of Khan, like Kirk's like, yeah, um, yeah, sure, we have this advanced technology, but we know how three dimensions work, yeah. and that gives us the edge. One of us has had a fight in space before, <laughs> <laughs> and my One friend, of us is- with your luxurious hair, it is not you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um. I think I'd give Khan slightly more credit than that because the times that he outmaneuvers him, you know, given it's been at least 20 years, God, probably, yeah, yeah, at least 30 years since I last saw it, I was entertained and surprised by the, oh, he had, he's still mind controlling them. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course he is. He's outmaneuvered them. He's listening yeah. in. He's doing all this. That was cool. But yeah, he's not like, He's not like the Joker or Moriarty no. to uh, to Kirk. And I think that is one of the problems that Star Trek Into Darkness will face because it really wants Brumbledunk Coverage Patch to be a, 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 a nemesis, a Moriarty type. And you've not got it. You've not got no. any, of the, any of the history, really. And like, yeah. It, it is surprising that you don't have it like... Kirk and Khan never meet, and that just feels weird mm. because you kind of want them to have that big kind of you want them to have the standoff yeah, sizing each other up. Well, yeah, it ages it took ages for them to like communicate on the view screen against each other, and I was surprised with that. Again, it's like not necessarily as a bad thing, you know. Khan was busy monologuing to all his chaps about all of this. 
And oh God, I mean, what must it have been like being one of Khan's underlings? <sighs> Tedious. Well, like, you know, they're, you know, like they, they have awesome outfits. Yeah, and incredible hair and fantastic muscles. Like they, they I, I look think, like they belong in Mad Max. Like I think Ricardo Multiban was just like, wait, I get to be Khan again, right? I'm going to the gym. I am showing off every gun. Yeah, yeah. Again, he's got the tits out. He's got his hair like, poofed it, up. It, this this could have been called Star Trek Two: Tickets to the Gun Show. Damn straight. Like he was very impressive there, and um. Yeah, like the the stuff with Carol and with David with the Marxes didn't it w- it was fine. It didn't dominate the story in a way in which it could have easily all been about that. And I I, I think between... it's I think it's more because like, I think like a a big kind of sub like theme of the film is Kirk having to deal with the fact that he's old. Yes. Yeah. And and like you've got like you know he's he feels old. You've got Spock and McCoy in their own ways saying, "You got to get back out there. You got to get back out there." And you have him then like meeting literally his son. And I don't know what the like. It's weird to think that this was originally like Spock wasn't meant to come back after this yeah. film. So, and then of course with Star Trek Three. Spock comes back, but David gets killed off. Mm. So it's kind of like, what were you, were you planning to kind of have the David character kind of be a recurrent, like more in the films than he ended up being? I mean, I guess he was, um, he was a science guy. But yeah. the films, it's been a while since I saw Center Seat. I uh, watched that just before we began Casual Trek. And it was really interesting to see, but. I don't remember them having a game plan with any of them. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, yes, we have plans for three, four, and five, and they're all going to link to these events. We, no. We have we have plans for the next 20 films. Bullshit. Yeah. Who, what person in their right mind would do that, Mars? I don't know. Like, you know, it, it, this is some kind of cinematic universe of Marvels that we're talking about here. Yeah. It's a Star Trek. It would take some kind of quantum maniac. <laughs> To be able to plan out that many films. Yeah, ahead. right. So, actress Kirstie Alley, who plays Savick in this film, but not uh, in you, all of them. You've no, but you've seen her in Cheers and Look Who's Talking films. Yeah, it was weird seeing her in a in a Star Trek like this. She's one of the people mm. whose face was about for quite a bit, and go, "Oh my god, it's her!" And yes, yeah, she has sadly passed away. She also has sadly some, had some abysmal politics and religious beliefs. But back before then, um, yeah, this was, I think, her first film that she was actually acting in. Uh, mm. While they do replace uh, in later ones. Yeah, Savick was a nice new arrival. And I know yeah. the motion picture had some people that were going to be in the... Um, what season four kind of new phase, phase, phase two. two that's it that sort of era her and david felt a lot more like new arrivals that were likely to stick around I, yeah i i felt more about them than i did the new characters from the first one i i think i've read some of the reprints of the post con dc 
Star Trek comic mm. where she's basically got the Spock role in in the title. Yeah. Because you know, because like this is like those the comics kind of take the comics take place after the film and continue on after the film. I'm guessing they they weren't anticipating that um that uh the search for Spock would pull a the last Jedi and carry on from directly where the last film ended. Yeah, you were saying this uh the other episode, and that does sound like a weird a weird thing to have to balance. And um yeah. I do wonder with the Star Wars comics, because they've been setting place between each of the original trilogy, are they going to hit that point of like these are set in a few minutes between these two? I am kind of looking forward to like to seek. I think they're going to do another time skip mm. to post Jedi, and that's kind of where I'm I'm a bit interested because I want to see what they do with the post Jedi stuff. It would be interesting to see what how they tackle it. But mm. um, but this this isn't a um Charles Soule is writing everything for Star Wars Marvel podcast this is a a star trek podcast and it's weird to talk about this film outside of its legacy because like as we said earlier this was going to be like it for spock and Leonard nimoy he was done he was done he had done his time he was paid out he was he was writing books about how he was not spock and it's just like it's weird to watch this knowing that Spock's going to come back straight away. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's an odd one with that. This feels like, because it's films rather than television, it's it's understandable that you can't get rid of your big name guy. Not no. for long. You know, as much as I'm sure Shatner would love that Kirk was the only number one big character, a lot of people love Spock. Yeah, and I'm, I'm apparently, I guess, working on this film made Nimoy go, actually, I do like Spock and the promise of regular work. Yes, this can be good. Um, after all, isn't he a bit more active behind the camera as well in the next one? He directs, yeah. he directs the next two films. Yes, um, it definitely feels like it's like it's a definite masterclass, this one, in like all mm. of them doing star trek really well and sometimes you see this cast and go oh oh they're magnificent and here it's all one film rather than going we don't get to see much spock or much scotty or anything like this you know they all get a bit of fun yeah um yeah like one bit which i think is cut out from the film Mm. but is in novelization is that um the the one engineer guy who Scott? Who dies? The crispy guy. Who? The crispy guy. That's his nephew. Oh shit! Wow. Yeah. So like when he's all crispy and Scotty's really kind of torn up about it, that's his nephew dying. I think that's one of the bits they cut out. Okay, because yeah, from like we saw this, we saw new people, new blood, and Scotty was proud of of them and all that, which was nice. Given Kirk was very much in a these damn kids sort of way and when he popped up to the bridge it's incredibly callous to say but it felt like that could have been a call really yeah here look at this dead engineer you know if it's here's my dead nephew it still maybe could have been an email but um yeah it's it's understandable that Mm. went up and did that to go shit is fucked right now 
Yeah. It when it comes to the fact that it's a it's a training it's a cadet ship of it's a training shoe of training ship of cadets. Mm. It feels like that was something that was meant to be a larger part of the film, but then got cut out in either scripting or editing. Because like that feels like that should be like more more tying into the of like the thematics of like Kirk feeling young again. Yeah, it's an interesting thing having gone from you know um actually casual Star Trek fan that I am. Was the Enterprise the flagship at this point, or was it just another ship? I am not sure. Okay, good. I'm pleased I'm like, not the only one. Because if you're like, oh, you because like if, you idiot, of course it wasn't. Because like, if it's being used as, tra- as like as a training ship for cadets, you're not going to do that to like. You're not going to downgrade a flagship to that. Yeah. I mean, maybe you you might if you go, we've got enough good modern ships and this one's a relic now, despite how it used to be. I don't know. It's... Like, uh, what, like it always goes into, like, was the Enterprise always the flagship? Or was it just, like, this was the ship that our guys are on, so it's really important to us? Hmm. I'm, I'm sure much more serious Star Trek fans are probably yelling about this. Hmm. But yeah, um, let's see. Yeah, because it, it says here that the end. Okay. So yeah, the Enterprise served as the flagship of Federation and of Starfleet around 2259. So yeah, maybe it got benched a bit. Yeah. Like you said earlier, Shatner's acting. Oh my God. Oh my God. We've already covered before about how most people just assume it is, just assume parody Shatner is mm. Kirk acting. But, yeah, between, like, that mortality, you know, whenever you get an actor who really possibly should have retired now or shouldn't come back for a 20-year-later sequel sort of thing, uh, trying to be young, it feels slightly embarrassing. And then you get some people yeah. like Tom Cruise where he just gets more and more disturbing as time goes on. But Shatner... This is the Kirk of the original series, but he is an older man. He's not the cliche he's going to become. Yeah, and it's it's interesting seeing him being allowed to be vulnerable. You know, mm. being allowed to be... Yeah, he, he won't have it to the level that he did before. And actually, yeah, watching him cope with mortality as a, as a concept. And yeah... It, Things like the Khan moment, it often gets put in with the the radiation bit and all that. It's like it's, it happens kind of earlier. And it's, I don't know, while it is an iconic moment, it feels like it's definitely been blown out of proportion a bit. Yeah, because the thing I always remember is that Kirk is trying to play Khan mm. because he knows that the Enterprise is coming sooner than Khan knows. Yeah. Because he and because uh, Spock exaggerated. Oh. You lied. I exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, it's always like, fun seeing the, the nice little workarounds that mm. the Vulcans give with that sort of thing. And just fantastic score. Yes. Yeah. Like, this is James Horner, and I think he's... you. I think... Some of this music he he took from uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, the um, Roger Corman, Seven's um, Magnificent Seven in Space, uh, Star Wars cash-in, 
which I think James Horner and a very young James Cameron worked on oh, wow. back in the early eighties. God, like I think, like I think, like um, he's he's actually one of my of uh, my wife's favorite like movie composers. See, I because he he did the score for Titanic. I think when we were discussing the motion picture, you were mentioning the score, and I was like, oh my god, I never pay attention enough to that. Oh, I, but yeah, this one is is very good for that. Hmm. Let's see. Oh yeah, Apollo thirteen, Avatar. What films Avatar? No, no, Avatar's fine. Crawl, the second, the second greatest Dungeons and Dragons film. Actually, no, sorry, the third greatest Dungeons and Dragons film. Is that after Hawk the Slayer? Uh, yeah, that's after Hawk the Slayer and Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Amongst Thieves. Have you seen that yet? No, no. At some point, it'll come on streaming. I are guess. you are you are you are you Blake's boying? Are you Blake's boying Honor Amongst I mean, Thieves? I've heard good enough things, and the stubborn part of me, just being very done with Wizards <laughs> of the Coast, you know, watching them just in the last couple of days, hiring AI guys and going, oh, we're we're as surprised as you are. This guy's about to AI when it's what? Guy... what? Yeah, so their new book has AI art in it, <laughs> and the concept oh, artist wasn't told that her work would be used with AI artists and their whole kind of, oh, we're shocked. You look at the online profile of the guy that did this, and he is all in on every tech bro grift possible. He's an oh, NFT no, guy, AI guy. Look, if there's anything rubbish, Wizards of the Coast are definitely going to do it. And as much as I feel like an arsehole for calling people out on giving D&D a lot of free rides, um, it's just going to keep happening. They're going to keep yeah. doing this. But anyway, does, so... Does, has yeah. Has Wizards of the Coast paid for Twitter? Probably. Probably, yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Do you know who else has paid for Twitter? Mm. Sean. Damn it, Sean. Damn Sean, it, Sean. Blue Sky's right there. You're on Blue Sky. You don't need to I gave you the, I gave you an invite code to Blue Sky. For shame. Honestly. <laughs> for shame, Sean. Oh. But yeah, this, this is not a trashing Sean podcast. No, no. We'll have to get him on for some public humiliation. At uh, some point, but um, yeah, I don't know if I've got much more to say about this. It was just like, a really good film and a really good Star Trek. It's definitely capturing that post Star Wars wave. Yeah, but but like the good, like this in motion picture, never feel like it's trying to emulate Star Wars. Mm. It's it's very much trying to do its own thing in style, which you know later. Star Trek films, which are definitely inspired by Star Wars, do not do as well. I mean, to be honest, calling, a lot of pulling out Mr. J.J. Abrams. Yeah, J.J. Abrams, honestly. But, um, yeah, I feel a lot of the plot elements are ones that make me a bit wary in hmm. modern films, going, oh, yeah, it's another personal vengeance quest. Oh, yeah, all of this. But as you say, as you said earlier, that kind of the fact that for Khan, Kirk was the worst thing to happen to him by chucking him on a hell planet. <laughs> and for Kirk, this was Tuesday. It's, it's, I love that. I love that so much. I, I, I love that you referenced uh, Street Fighter in the movie. Man, I, I've cited that before at work in a serious meeting. I was like, to quote a great philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but, um, 
it was fascinating to see. Khan was a brilliant hammy bitch with all mm. of his work, uh, without going full Street Fighter for movie, but yeah. still going ludicrous enough. Like, like, there's a lot I will forgive with this because of when it came out and because of what it because it does it well. But I don't forgive in like 2010s action movies. Do you know what it is weird to say about this film? Mm. Ricardo Multiban is overplaying it, and it's br- and he's brilliant. Yeah. But then Shatner, the guy everyone knows for overacting, is underplaying oh. so much. Oh god! Like, yeah. ju- like just like I would say one last thing about Shatner's acting in this film: the way he just growls out "human" oh. at Spock's eulogy from the side of his mouth is like that's. Yeah, chef's kiss act like acting choice. It's it is one of those things where, you know, when you when you deliver a eulogy, the big fear is that you won't be able to get through it all, and you see yeah. it, you know, you experience it doing that yourself. You see it in others when they're delivering them, and it is exactly that. It is, um, yeah, incredible to see acted without having to go, you know, full ham with it or without just being very controlled. It's he. Yeah, he lets it be human. And sometimes mm. Star Trek can be accused of being a little inhuman, a little beyond that, especially around yeah. like the Berman Braga era kind of stuff. But yeah, oh, it's, it's a good one. Like... So we've stalled. We've gone on we have... for a bit. Um, pre-editing for longer than we usually go on because yep. Wrath of Khan needed some time. But we, we we may have wasted too much of our two-hour runtime going fascism. No, God, two-hour runtime. Honestly, I remember at the very start. So yeah, we can knock one of these out in about an hour. <laughs> Foolish, past Charlie. Foolish. Well, n- n- at least most times now we're doing it because um. You know, we 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 have too much to say, and not because um, Zencaster is um, inefficient. Oh, most of the time, it's a blessed Me- mediocre to to keep us from going on way too long. But this time, we just started up again. Right. So, okay, so Charlie, yes. when we first started watching this, mm-hmm. um, I believe one of the mess- things I sent to you was: Is this going to potentially challenge? emissary because i would say in terms of like when you're talking about star trek when you're talking about star trek as a as a franchise as a cultural institution i feel that one of the entries that gets brought up when you're talking about star trek is the wrath of khan Mm. i would say that this is i i would say that in terms of star trek films this can almost be considered the empire. Yeah, this is strikes these. back. Of, yeah, this is this is the one. Like this is, I definitely for the movies going forward, for better or for worse, this is the urtext of how the Star Trek movies are going to mostly play out, unless they're mucking about with whales. Again, for better or for worse. Yeah. So. Like for this as a Star Trek story, it doesn't 
we've got some revenge stuff, but you've got concepts like the Genesis device. You've got the scientists, the science station. It feels you've like got... it is still um, the concepts are all still around doing a Starfleet. You've you've got the morality. You have like you have bones. Bring you know like seeing seeing what Spock and, and Kirk see as like this technological marvel, mm. and McCoy going. We'd have we have just developed Armageddon. Yeah, and he has that the great like. I think one of my favorite lines in the film is "God created the world in set in six days." And here comes Genesis. We can top that in seven minutes. Oh, yeah. And while it is kind of a sequel to Space Seed, and it is a sequel to the original series and to the motion picture, like it being Star Trek Two, wrath of a guy's name here. Yeah, it should. It can be someone's first one. Like this yeah. can easily be someone's introduction to Star Trek. And you got the concepts like, down. You got the characters you got down. The... You don't need yeah. to know about Space Seed and all that stuff going no. down with um with Khan. After all, it's at what number forty seven on our our list of sixty four. This works well on its own. It tells you what Star Trek, Starfleet, the Federation, all of that is about. And it gives you a rip-roaring story. It gives you a good adventure. It gives you some fantastic, like, it gives you some fantastic SF concepts. It gives you some really good kind of, even though they don't chew on the morality of Genesis as much as I might like. Yeah. Like, it's a two-hour two film. Yeah. You you know like if you're gonna cut corners, cut there. Then like say making the plot and action work. Thing is, it has... They've got no chance to to quibble over the morality of it. Con's got yeah. it, and he's gonna do shit with it. So that's at that point. Like it's that's a bit too kind late. of like that's like one of the last conversations like Spock and McCoy have before Spock dies. Yes. Yeah. Like or so like. Like looking yeah. at the top of our list because this is definitely a candidate for the top of the list. I think key elements in a lot of these are things like doing a Starfleet, which Emissary and Strange New Worlds' pilot both do incredibly well. And we got some weird effects, weird kind of story things, and how Balance of Terror is our number two with this very mm. submarines in space. And with the Romulan commander, who frankly gets way more respect than Khan does from Kirk. Yeah. And uh, and the same with Kor, you know? I think this is better than Balance of Terror. I, And, you know, you, you said, we might have a new number one when you messaged me. I was like, I, I'm curious when we examine things like that. But also, I do not want to be precious and go, obviously, it's always going to be Emissary. Like, Emissary hmm. shows us an interesting cast, and they're not entirely evolved yet. It gives us a really interesting situation with the station, and, I mean, you and I, we're, we're both suckers for Morrisonian madness, for all yeah. of the kind of, hey, here's a non-linear being that you're trying to teach about and, love and loss, and, and that, it, that is that's... catnip for us. Like I, I, I love that emotional core of just of the aliens. Hmm. 
un understanding that like human exist like human existence is linear while the human experience and the human soul is not isn't linear yeah and i see i think that's where in a way almost looking at what we're what we've been setting as our bar over 26 episodes is that kind of thing of that sort of big weird concept but an emotional core to it like this is you know like the the tagline for the motion picture it was the human adventure is, is the human adventure is just beginning hmm. and as much as i like motion picture as much as i love the motion picture as like not just a star trek but as a science fiction film hmm. on science fiction ideas i think that this that this film has like science fiction. It has the, it has like character. It has like, it has that character soul. I, it has, it works on so many thematic elements. Yeah. Like how Kirk, like how Genesis rejuvenate, like shows Kirk that rejuvenation is possible. That, that Spock's gifting of a tale of two cities is initially him saying you should you need to save yourself by bec by becoming a starship captain and then becomes Spock then sacrifice you know then sacrificing himself for the crew because that's his that's his answer that's his answer to the no win scenario yeah. and whereas 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 Kirk and then you you have Kirk dealing with his own con you know the consequences of just being someone who thinks that there's always a way out. Mm. And like that that's another lovely bit of a Shatner acting or physical Shatner acting. When the ship is trying to when the ship is like in that moment when you they think they're not gonna make it. When the Enterprise is just going as fast as it can, and you have like Kirk, he's just sitting in the chair, arms crossed. Like he looks petulant. Mm. He looks petulant that this is how he's going to die because the ship isn't fast enough. <laughs> Like that's that's just a lovely bit of physical. Like he doesn't look tense or scared. He looks pissed that this is how he dies. Yeah, and there's no way that he can he can't, he can't cheat it. He can't he can't cheat the laws of physics. Yeah. Uh, so and then and then just like Spock's Spock's death and Spock's sacrifice, which is a tear jerking like oh. is a tear jerking moment like which i i always never thought like that star trek could make me feel on an emotional level and like every time like i you know like every time i've seen the bit where spock dies and the needs in many outweighs and just you know like i have been and always shall be your friend mm. like that's a moment where if you don't feel something then I don't think it's not that you're dead inside. I just don't think you're letting yourself feel. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a great film. I was about to say great episode. That's that's what we've done here. But mm. yes. So like this this is the human adventure. Like yeah. the Wrath of Khan is the human adventure. Hmm. So does this mean that i feel like we should both have like a key to turn or something like <laughs> does this mean we have a new number one i i think this might be, i think this might be it yeah but you know what in 20 in 26 episodes i think emissary 
has shown its strength time and time again. It's like you... it's had a good innings, and you know, I I hope there will be things that will make us question whether this will be number one mm. as well, because that's part of the joy of making a kind of weird living big list like this. Of yeah, I, I always want to be surprised both by the top and the bottom of the list. Oh yeah, although just saying. If Final if Final Frontier ends up as number one, I'm calling fix. <laughs> oh dear. So, um, yeah, we that's it, everyone. We have a new number one on our big list of now uh, 65 entries in Star Trek history. And you know what this film has that the bottom of the list doesn't have? Mm-hmm. No machines powered by child death. Oh yeah, yeah, that's handy. I mean, David would have been. Probably, you know, <laughs> plug David in. Probably plugged him in. Yeah, in fact. So yeah, it turns out that Genesis actually we need to plug David in. Just David. We don't know why. That's how it works. Yeah. Oops. Oh. Anyway, with that in mind, um, that's it for us this time. And next episode, we're going to get a little bit musical as uh, the most recent Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode, Subspace Rhapsody. Yeah, it got me wondering what other musical delights are there in uh, in Star Trek history. I say delights. One of them is an episode of Picard, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> guess, guess what's not going anywhere near the top 20. Yeah. So, outside of that, you can find me at faketales.com where I talk about indie RPGs, uh, skyshark.itch.io for my comics and RPGs, and Blue Sky, where I'm Skyshark? I'm pretty sure I'm Skyshark on there. It's still early days yet, but it's been fun to play with. You're not even adding Twitter. No, no, fuck it. No, we're not even... Yeah, we're not even adding the Nazi bar to Twitter. Yeah. Um, You can find us on Blue Sky at... Oh, on uh, casualtrek.bsky.social uh, for the official, citation needed, Casual Trek Blue Sky account. And you can find me at milesreadlobato.bsky.social because, yeah, F Twitter. Yeah. Oh, and uh, don't F Kofi, but instead go along there and sling us some money and suggest an episode or a theme and we'll build an episode entirely around it for you if this is your first time listening to the show because of khan congratulations you have made it this far the human adventure is only just beginning and go back and listen to our back catalog where we spend far too long giggling about odo exploding yep definitely listen to that one yeah occasionally we let my cat have opinions on episodes um He's not around, so we didn't get to hear his opinion on um, on on people who think themselves to be more superior than others. I I get the horrible feeling that my cat might have enjoyed these for the wrong reasons. Um, uh, you eugenicist cat. Not saying no, no. I'm not saying my cat's eugenicist, but all cats naturally consider themselves to be superior life forms. So there, you know, there we go. Um, eventually, we'll watch more Star Trek. Yeah. And we just hope, as we have begun our second year strong, that you'll continue to watch, to listen along with us in 
If you, but if you're just here for the movie episodes, we'll see you in 13 episodes time, which is about half a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on that, I have been Miles. He has been Charlie. Hey, it's a scary world, so we always want people to go out and do a Starfleet. And in the end, live long and have a jelly baby. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I almost did the. Yeah, it doesn't quite work doing the Vulcan. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not putting my. Ha- I'm not putting my hands on my laptop. No, that's it's a touchscreen. Oh yeah, that'd freak it out. You have been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. The intro theme was by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Star Trek's owned by Paramount, and Casual Trek is part of the Nerd and Tie Network. <laughs>